It's Megacon from March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. Megacon is the Southeast's largest comic book, science fiction, fantasy, anime, gaming, toys, multimedia event. The showroom has over 110,000 square feet of exhibitor space. Meet your favorite comic book artists, get autographs from your favorite celebrities, enter a costume contest, visit continuous anime viewing rooms, view the Indie Film Festival, and so much more. You don't want to miss it. One-day tickets are $24.49 in advance, $30 at the door. Or go for all three days for just $58.04 in advance or $60 at the door. I, Scott Gardner, will be there Saturday, March 16th from open to close, wandering the floor in my Two True Freaks t-shirt. Again, that's Megacon, March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center, Hall D, that's 9800 International Drive, Orlando, Florida. Be there. And now, Paul Spataro in address. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. This is episode 99 and 1523rds or something. <laughs> I am Scott Gardner and I am joined this episode by my buddies Paul Spataro. Hello. And Bill Robinson. Hello. Hello. That was my line. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> all right. That was a great episode. All right. Like, good job, Thank everybody. You. Good, I'll be here all week. Good effort. Well, this this way we're not going on and on and on. <laughs> all right. I'll meet you guys at Applebee's. Wow, that's a long drive for Paul. <laughs> I was very jealous to see you guys together hanging out, and I wasn't there. I was thinking, you know, what, what will it take me to hop a flight and just hang out with you guys for an hour and then I'll, and then go home? What's the big deal? You totally should, man. You should totally jump in the uh, the company jet and just come down for a half an hour break while I'm working like Bill <laughs> That was timed perfectly, too. And then you tried to slip away. Oh, he just went back in there. Well, let me go to the bathroom. And then my friend goes, wait, he just came back out. Hey, Scott. Oh, there he is. That was cool. You know, you're going to say these things joking around, and then one day I'm going to come strolling in there like Cousin Ernie on I Love Lucy, and you're going to (laughs) be reading it for weeks until I finally decide to go home. (laughs) That's all right. I can just call security. Got <laughs> <laughs> suit will come up and take you away. There you go. Well, we're probably going to have a bit of an awkward, weird one this this time around, but that's okay. They're all kind of awkward and weird, so it'll just be like all the other ones. But uh, we're going to go ahead and dive in this time with some feedback because we do have uh, several here. We've been kind of neglecting the feedback segment, so. We're going to go ahead and clean out the uh, feedback inbox. So our first one is from Jason Trenner. <laughs> oh, no. Right off the bat, it says, 
first off on Minecraft. And I saw that and I was just like, oh God, here we go. He says, there is a texture pack. Uh, basically, it can change how the game looks uh, that makes everything realistic looking and better than NES graphic uh, graphics. Second, Yars Revenge didn't have creepers or what probably is causing your sons to swear at the screen, uh, given those things blow up like Nitro from Marvel Comics. He says, thankfully, without reforming after blowing up ability. I honestly have no idea what you're talking about, dude, but that's okay. He says, oh, and the guy who made the game did get a ton of money, uh, so much so that his PayPal account was so full they thought he did something illegal and closed it, hence why you can't use PayPal uh, to pay for Minecraft, which that's that's just wild. Uh, he says, on to my idea for Back to the Bins 100. He said, do issue 100 of several comics, such as uh, Avengers West Coast 100 or 100 of whatever the Legion comic was uh, was called uh, when it reached that, or Justice League, or Titans, or whatever. And number 100 of the now-canceled Hellblazer for the indie comic, or maybe Savage Dragon 100. Uh, he says, really, I'd uh, suggest something else, but I can't think of any indie comic that reached 100. He <laughs> says, uh, well, there is The Walking Dead, but uh, that's after uh, what you want uh, as a uh, cutoff point and for another show for you to do. Um I like this idea, and it did actually come up when we were kind of roundtabling ideas. The problem with this, in my mind, though, is that I've heard that on several other shows. Um, I, I know of several different podcasts that have done that with um, maybe not necessarily issue 100 or, or a 100 anniversary, but when they got to a particular number, they would just pick that number from several different series and cover it as their anniversary episode. So to me, that's an old idea, and I don't want to. I don't ever want to really copy anybody else. I, I prefer to blaze new trails. So we're still kicking ideas around, and uh, and we think we might have hit on something. So hopefully, fingers crossed, God willing, this will be our last fraction of ninety nine, <laughs> and the next one you'll hear will be a proper episode one hundred. We're hoping anyway. Uh, Jason continues. He says, "I picked up uh, Avengers West Coast one hundred, uh, or rather, I picked." Avengers one, uh, Avengers West Coast 100, because I thought it'd be amusing to hear you talk about the giant retcon of Mockingbird's death uh, to be that of a Skrull impersonating her and the body burned to ashes. Thanks, Bendis, for a shitty nonsensical revival of a character in Secret Invasion uh, a bit later giving her superpowers and then utterly nothing with her and setting up Hawkeye with the original Spider-Woman 2 for good measure. Hmm. They gave her superpowers? I have no idea. I mean, I remember her coming back in um, Secret Invasion, which honestly, that was the last modern Marvel that I've I've read. I think that's you know of uh, you know the most recent thing in Marvel that I I have read. I, I pretty much quit cold turkey after that because I thought that I thought that series was just I don't know. It, it just let me down. I was kind of like you know I I think I'm just going to read some older Marvel for a while because I, I thought the whole bringing so many of those characters back. And they had been, you know, scrolls at some point in the past. I thought there were several of them that were just ridiculous. Mockingbird, honestly, I could I could care less about Mockingbird as a character, but still, it was ridiculous. I mean, because I remember when she died in that book, and I was like, all right, so how does that work? To me, having her revealed to have been a scrawl that died is is right up there with it being an actress that was Aunt May that died. It's, it's it just doesn't really hold up under any 
scrutiny whatsoever. It just there there's no logic to that. So I don't know. Um, he continues. He says, uh, "Yeah, there's a reason I did uh, a fan fiction rewrite of Secret Invasion." He says. Uh, and enough tooting my own horn, which sounds like a dagger whistle from Power Rangers summoning the Dragon Zord. Jason, I love you, buddy, but you dropped some references that I just have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> but <laughs> you keep plugging away. He says, uh, interesting pick of Alpha Flight for the Marvel book. He says, you notice Alpha Flight and Defenders keep on having, having revivals. He says, they and the New Warriors uh, keep on coming back and trying to capture what made them great, but it doesn't quite work. I agree with that yeah, totally. I will agree. It's, and, and I think they are all, you know, they're great series that could be made great again, and they just keep missing the mark. Mm-hmm. Like a poor well, yeah. marksman, they just keep missing the target. Keep the missing the target, yeah. Well, I well, think, well, oh, go ahead. Well, plus they keep having those revivals in those tents and singing them songs, and, you know, people just don't <laughs> want to hear that. <laughs> I think you could say that for a number of, of titles, though. There was something about certain titles back in the day that there was just a certain feel or a certain vibe or a certain magic, if you will, that somehow they just can't seem to recapture again. And and right off the bat, the, the big ones that I always think of are the team-up books. There have been mm-hmm. several attempts to revive yep. the team-up book, like, say, Marvel Team-Up or Brave and the Bold, and somehow they just they're not able to capture that same feel and so they'll go for a dozen issues or something, and then they'll fade away again. And it's a shame because you know there was just something about those old titles. And uh, yeah, I, I guess it's just one of those you know you can't go home again type of things. There was something about I don't know if it was the team or the feel or the you know the creators or that just maybe just the era. I don't and, know. I, I hate to be like a broken record, always hitting on the same thing, but I think price enters into it. Oh yeah. Because, you know, there are there are good books out there that people will not buy because they're three ninety nine. Absolutely, yeah. So, so yeah. even you know, the team up books, as enjoyable as they were, they they're almost throwaway stories. So they they can't be you you can't have a huge financial commitment to them to buy them. Mm-hmm. It's because you know otherwise you're taking you know you you're taking away that lightness of the story in order to make it worth buying, and then you're losing. The beauty of what it was. So, I, I don't know if, if if I'm making total sense here, but it has to it has to almost be a, a cheap issue that you could pick up without really you know giving it a lot of thought. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I've long said that one of the things that worked well for the the team up books back in the day, uh, you know, two great examples would be Brave and the Bold or DC Comics Presents. Those were really good team up books during their time. And neither one of them tied into the continuity that was going on in the heroes' books. So they weren't, quote-unquote, important to the ongoing narrative of the DC universe. But they were, you know, a quarter or 35 cents or whatever. So as a kid, you know, you you would risk that money. And sometimes you got a really good story. Sometimes you got a turkey. But, you know, you, and you could also pick and choose, which was another great thing about those titles back then. You know, if Superman teamed up with Ragman and you didn't give a crap about it, then you skipped that one. But if he teamed up the next issue with, you know, Captain Comet and you were like, oh, that looks really good and you picked it up, then, you know, it was that sort of so you could pick and choose. And I, I think, like you say, with the with the price point, when they're four bucks, you know, people are going to stick with it. 
Yeah, it is. It's a big commitment, and people are, are not going to be as adventuresome. You know, they're having a tough enough time keeping up with the ongoing narrative of the universe that they're following. They really don't have money to spare to pick up a book that's just off in left field, even though it might be great. It might be the best book on the stands, but if it's not quote-unquote important, then I think you're really fighting that uphill battle. I, I you know, I remember... The, oh, go ahead. Sorry. The most, the most recent incarnation of Brave and the Bold with uh, George Perez, I had taken the uh, the trades out of the library and read them. They weren't bad at all. Mm -mm. But again, you know, when when you're charging top dollar for them, and and I believe they were out of out of the normal continuity. Right. Uh, but you know, so so when you're charging top dollar for something that ultimately a lot of the readers are going to turn around and say, well, it doesn't matter, then they're just going to walk away from it. They're gonna they're gonna choose to spend their money elsewhere. Right. Didn't that Brave and the Bold have like an underlying story that tied all those together? Though wasn't there some? Yeah, uh, they right. They had a storyline going through it, and and the the actual heroes teaming up would change, but it was continuing the same thread of continuity throughout that series. Right? I would argue that that works against it too. I you know I think on the surface they would look at that and go maybe this will be a hook to get people to pick it up from issue to issue to issue, but I would argue that that doesn't help because then you're destroying the I'll pick it up when it looks interesting nature that I think a book like that should have. Marvel team up under Kirkman did much the same thing. A lot of those stories would continue from from uh, book you know from issue to issue. And there was an underlying narrative in chapters with that, which is a neat idea on the surface. But again, if you don't care about Blade or the Punisher or somebody, you know, then why would you pick that up? I, I think it's much better to do done in ones. And, you know, if people want to drop in, drop out, then they, they have the freedom to do that. And you make a book like that you know, a dollar or two dollars or something so that it's a little bit cheaper than the regular books that are on the stand. And maybe people may be a little more willing to, to risk, you know, a book that they might really enjoy or they might go, well, that sucked. But, you know, hell, I only paid a dollar for it, you know. Yeah, and, and it gives you the sampler type feel mm -hmm. that you're saying, OK, it's Batman and OMAC. Oh, I don't know who this OMAC is. You read the story if you like it, then you say, "Oh, maybe I'm going to pick up some issues of that series." Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's how I ended up getting hooked on Dead Man. I picked up an issue of uh, of DC Comics Presents where he teamed up with Superman, fell in love with the guy, went and collected everything I could find with Dead Man. I don't. I wonder if that sort of thing happens in comics these days. I suspect that it does not, but I don't but know. They couldn't afford it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, and, I, and that's what I come back to on collecting comics all the time. So mm -hmm. I'll save that for later. Well, Jason continues here. He says, uh, regarding Megaflight, he says, the weapon Omega that was part of the team had killed the classic members in New Avengers. He says, Snowbird, when asked to join Omega Flight, uh, which, remember, was a team, uh, was what a team of villains called themselves. First, yes, I do remember that. That's what confused me about Omega Flight right off the bat. He says, pointed out both facts when she told him uh, to not bother her ever again. He says, that, uh, that scene was in the uh, uh, Sacred Invasion story. I wonder if he means secret. It says sacred. No, no, no. There was, there was, a, there was an arc in Incredible Hercules where he yeah, was about these scroll gods. Ah. Sacred Invasion. Okay. He says, that was a great story, uh, though the follow-up to it uh, was Chaos War 
which I feel wasn't as good as I want, uh, I'd wanted it to be. Ironically, Chaos War was where all those dead members of Alpha Flight um, killed in the New Avengers got resurrected. Hmm. Yeah. And as for the cycle of death and uh, rebirth of the Norse gods, well, that came up way, way back in Roy Thomas's run. During the Eternal storyline that got sidetracked into Norse Norse mythology and uh, kind of annoyed me, given uh, what I was reading was a pair of trades labeled the Eternal Saga. More like uh, the first was, and then sidetracked into other stuff that only barely matters uh, when we get back to the Eternal Saga. And as for the death no longer uh, being the end of things, well, Incredible Hercules showed that for super beings, death is a casino, and if they manage to win, then they can come back to life. And while in that realm, they are aware that Bucky really did die, and it just took him decades to finally win at a poker game, or a slot machine and get out. And fr- uh, to be frank, I am perfectly okay with that, given how big a joke death has become in comics. Hmm. That was a funny story. That's a, that's an interesting. It's uh, an interesting point. Uh, as for Black Lightning, he says I believe he prefers the name Super Vault. Uh, yeah, I had to make a Harvey Birdman reference once again. I'm sorry. I don't get your references. I'm sorry, dude. He says as for uh, Black Lightning's origin, he is a school teacher. He put on an afro and talked jive so people didn't think he was a well-cultured, a well-cultured and highly educated school teacher working in Suicide Slum. I can't believe I forgot to mention that, if I forgot to mention that, because I always thought that was a pretty ridiculous origin. It probably didn't seem that bad back then, but looking back on it now, that's one of those kind of embarrassing, accidentally racial kind of things, I think. But anyway... Uh, he confirms that the Batman villain I was thinking about in that episode was Doc Phosphorus. I thought that was what his name was. And he says, yeah, never heard of Black Lightning having some super belt. I looked that up, and originally it turns out that I guess Black Lightning's power came from that belt, that they weren't innate superpowers like it would eventually happen. That's what I gathered from it anyway. He says, uh, though I did find it interesting that he works in Suicide Slum, which is uh, in Superman's turf, yet he's got ties to Batman as one of his outsiders. Uh, gives the character an interesting place with both ties to uh, to both infamous uh, heroes, he says. I think you mean famous heroes. <laughs> says, Plus, he beat the shit out of Jimmy Olsen. That's something to, uh, that has to be in a DC cartoon now that they can finally use Black Lightning. Yeah, I'd, I'd be all down for that. Yeah, but he'd be beating a girl. he says and please review the next issue of black lightning on the show well i maybe i will maybe i will do that and are you ever going to review some defenders issues uh given you talk about loving uh the cast of outcasts and such and well that's who the defenders are he says i almost i almost did a defenders book last week I, I can guarantee you I will get to that as if you guys don't beat me to it because I love that series. Cool. Yeah. I just couldn't narrow down which one I wanted to do, so that's when I went with the other one, which uh, the BFF one. I have a lot of issues of the Defenders and strangely have only read uh, a mere handful of them ever, but uh, I, I've got, I would say, probably a good four-fifths of that series and you know it's just kind of fallen in my lap over the years but i've really not read much of it but yeah 
So I, I would say that that uh, virtually guarantees, Jason, that eventually uh, one of us will end up covering the Defenders on the show. This is, uh, hope to see you guys heading back to the bins for 100 more episodes at least. I hope so. Who's got the next one? I think I got it. All right. And of all people, the next letter is from Jason Trapper. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks for trying to look at the Shogun Warriors. So, thanks for trying to look at the Shogun Warriors, Scott. And coming up with Red Ronin isn't bad, I and mean, he's a pretty he's pretty cool too. So yes, you do get points. Good for you, Scott. <laughs> Yay, points! <laughs> what, are you, what are you going to use those for? <laughs> I don't know. I, More hokies, as for I the guess. Ronin warriors or Shogun warriors, they did have one guest appearance, and that was in Fantastic Four two twenty six. I vaguely remember that one. I think that's. Yeah, well, okay, he says it right here. Yes, that was pre-Burn era that Bill Sienkiewicz was artist on the book. Uh, you mentioned being surprised it happened somewhere. Yeah, you you haven't seen the Bill Sienkiewicz uh, Fantastic Four, right? Did I lose you? Oh, you picked just that moment when I muted myself, and then I got to scramble for the mute button again. Um, no, I have not, and I really would like to check that out, because you really blew my mind when you told me about that. I was not aware of that. Uh, yeah, uh, gonna, oh. the, sh- the Shogun Warriors, which one did you guys do? Did you do the ones where that because they were in the Avengers too? Yeah, no, we didn't do any of them. We did Godzilla with Red Ronin, thinking we were going we to Shogun Warriors. Oh, okay, yeah, because they were in one of the early two hundreds or one nineties of Volume One of the Avengers. See, I I thought so. I I thought that they were, but whatever site, and I'd swear it was Marvel dot com, but whatever site I was looking at that had. The, the whole history and, and uh, bibliography and everything of the Shogun Warriors said that they were self-contained in their own series and never guessed it anywhere. And I was like, no. then who the hell was that on the cover of that one Avengers issue? I thought it was them, so maybe, yeah, I'll, I, maybe I'll dig I that one I can't remember which Avengers issue they were in. It's, Jason, yeah. feel free to let us know. <laughs> okay, and then let's see. was basically the writer... Who also wrote the Shogun Warriors? Now I'm I'm not sure who we. Oh, I'm not sure who he was talking about here. I lost track of it. Wrapping up the book, completely destroying off-panel the giant robots. Given Marvel didn't have the rights to them anymore, or just wanted them gone. As for the issue, interestingly, it, the Shogun Warriors and that FF issue, all share the same writer. Guess in the 1970s and such, he was. The go-to man to bring Japanese stuff into the Marvel Universe. Do you recall who, who the writer was on that, Scott? Did I get you muted um, again? No, I'm right here. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I was trying to look up that issue. What, what are you asking me? Who, who wrote that issue? I don't recall offhand. Of the one that I reviewed? Yeah. Uh, the Godzilla one? Yeah. Was it Doug Mensch? I think it might have been. I think it that, was sounds right. yeah. that sounds right. That sounds right. Toshiro Mifuni. <laughs> no, I don't think so. As for Jimmy Wu, oh, does he have an interesting history? With my favorite part being when he heads to the when he leads the Agents of Atlas, aka 1950s Avengers in the Marvel Universe. That was a fun bunch of miniseries, short-running series, backup features, and guest appearances they had. <clears throat> and at least the annoying kid has a giant robot to pilot. Seriously. At least that means he won't just be a complete waste of space with 
could be good stuff. <laughs> and the James Bond story sounds interesting. I remember going on a huge James Bond kick a year or two ago, but never looked into some of the comics. I might check that one out. I agree. I never looked into that one until I finally read it for the show, and it was pretty interesting. I'm going to still have to get back and read the rest of it. And that's, he just ends right there. Bill, the uh, the cover that you're thinking of with the Avengers fighting the the Shogun warriors is that the one where it's it's the giant robot and he's straddling buildings, and so, yeah. Beast and Jocasta are looking up at him and he's holding the Vision in his hand and Wonder Man is flying at him and Cap on his flying potty seat is flying up at him. Is that the one you're thinking of? Yeah, is that like in the '90s or the early 200s? It's issue 198. And it's Red Ronin. <laughs> so see, it's I had the same problem. Is uh, that to me, it's like Red Ronin, Shogun Warriors. It's all the same damn thing, but it really isn't, I guess. So I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> you want the last one? Sure. All right. All right. And the last one comes from Chris McGee. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. <laughs> Dear Scott and Paul, thanks for another great episode, and thanks for reading my email, too. In response to your question regarding your show's format, I, th- I think I sent that in response to a request for general feedback you had made on an earlier episode. If I remember you correctly, you had asked the listeners if they preferred the current format or would they like a few changes. I was merely casting my vote in favor of the status quo. Hmm. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Guess I'll be going now, Mr. McGee. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> After all, when it comes to the back to the bins, if it ain't broke. As for the special episodes, I'm all for it. As a matter of fact, I'd like to request you guys cover the second meeting between Superman and Spider-Man. I think you and Michael Bailey covered their first crossover some time ago. Well, now it's high time that you cover round two and make it a special Get Andrew, uh, Andrew Leyland, Shag Matthews, Big Honk, and Steve, the whole gang, in, in to cover it. Hope that answers your questions, and as always, I eagerly anticipate the next episode. Your loyal listener, Chris McGee. I got two responses to this one real quick, uh, Chris. One, um, I'm still confused what you consider to be the regular format, which was kind of, that was kind of my question when, when this came up before, is... Uh, you know, just what do you consider to be, you know, our current format or the regular format of the show? Because I, I, I know what I consider it to be, but I'm not sure we're on the same page here. I, I think he means three issues, you know, Marvel, DC, Indie. Okay. Because I, I like that idea. I, I think the format, as much as I've always enjoyed it with just me and one other person... I really am enjoying the the three man dynamic. I think it works really well, you know, with with like you say, Marvel, DC, indie. I, I I'm really enjoying that. I feel like we really hit on something unique with that. I have no idea if that's really true, but I feel like we have. Um, the other half of uh, of your letter, I don't know how to break this to you. We've already done the second meeting between Superman and Spider Man. I, I'm almost positive that it's a back to the bins. Now, I could be wrong about this. Maybe it was a Comics Monthly Monday, but I thought for sure it was a back to the bins and that we had uh, Chris Honeywell on as the special guest for that episode. And the reason I, I know that we did it 
is because it really stands out in my memory that w- the the ongoing gag that we were trying to throw into that episode was about Superman throwing shit into the sun. And so when Chris wrote up his, what we did with that is everybody took a, it was either a chapter or a page. Like we would switch up our synopsis. I think it was every page, if I'm not mistaken. Like I would do a page and then Mike would do a page and then Chris would do a page and then I'd do another page. And we, we, I think that's how we did it. But anyway, however, we, Doc Ock and uh, Dr. Doom. No, it was was, uh, the Parasite. Parasite, yep. Yeah. And the reason that stands out in my memory is that Chris got the He wasn't really in on the gag from the get-go, so we kind of brought him into the episode, and and I remember tipping him off that, oh, by the way, Mike and I have an ongoing gag about this thing with Superman. So when he wrote his part of the synopsis, he got it confused, and he he had Spider-Man doing it. And so it kind of... It was funny, but it kind of threw the, the the whole gist of the joke and the whole flow of the synopsis off a little bit, and that's why that episode really stands out to me. So, but if uh, if you don't remember it or you haven't heard it or it doesn't stand out in your memory, maybe we need to go back and take another look at it because I like this idea of uh, of getting some other folks in and and giving it a second try. So maybe we will. I know that. Uh, Andy Leyland has been itching to do um, coverage of the meetings between Superman and Spider-Man. And uh, from, from what I've heard him say, you know, he, he wanted to do it. And then he found out that Mike and I had already done it. So he put it off. And then about the time he figured, well, enough time has gone by. I'll go ahead and do it. And hopefully they won't feel like, you know, I'm stepping on their toes or anything. He was just about to do it. And then another show went and did it. And then he was like, well, I now I don't want to seem like I'm just being a copycat. So he's waiting again. So I would really like to get Andy's, uh, you know, Andy's thoughts on those books. So, yeah, maybe it's time to dig those back out and take another look. Plus, I've long itched to do a whole series of specials about those giant oversized books. Cause there's a bunch of them that I'd really like to review. Um, you know, mostly the, the versus books, you know, like Superman versus wonder woman and Batman versus the Hulk and stuff like that. There's some really good ones. So yeah. I've been waiting on Superman versus Muhammad Ali for a long time. Yeah. I would love to do that one. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. So yeah, maybe we'll dust that idea off and, uh, and run with it again. I don't know about necessarily doing some of the other ones over again, but maybe, or maybe, you know, maybe like since Mike and I were in on the other ones the first time around, maybe we would sit those episodes out and let someone else, you know, do them, basically do them over. You know what I mean? But give it their own fresh spin. I like that idea, too. I, I'd like I'd love to hear an, a show like with, say, you two guys and uh, and Andy talking about Superman, you know, the Superman Spider-Man team ups. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I'd 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 shell out for that. So I remember listening to you guys doing the first Superman spider-man team up but i don't think i ever heard your uh, take on the second one well that also to me emphasizes the need and you know i'm glad you mentioned that because this is something i've been meaning to bring up on the show if you go to our forum at forumforgeeks.com i started a thread called um the back to the bins omnibus i encourage everybody to feel free to submit to that thread Basically, if you listen to an episode and you make note of what comics we talked about in that episode, I'm talking back episodes of the show, go to that thread and just pop it up on there. And I'm hoping eventually we will get a complete list 
of all of the episodes and what comics we talked about. Because I've never kept a master list. And now that we're hitting 100 shows, it's starting to kind of fade in my memory what we've talked about and what we want. And I don't, I definitely don't want to repeat ourselves, but also, I also don't want to necessarily repeat the same title too many times or the same character. You know, I, I don't want to be heavy on one character. I know we've done a lot of Batman stories. I know we've done a lot of Brave and the Bold stories. So I, I want to ke- continually keep it fresh. And I'd really like to develop this master list so that for one, you know, when we bring up topics like this going, dude, we already covered that. I could point you right to the episode right now. As it stands, I have no idea what the hell episode that is. You're just going to have to you know, look back through the old episodes, unfortunately. But also, I'd like to have a master list like that to look at it and go, gee, have we ever talked about you know, Daredevil or Ms. Marvel or Power Man and Iron Fist or any of those? Because I can't remember. Hell, I, you know, I just started listening back to some of the earliest episodes, and I was amazed by some of the stuff we talked about in the very first episodes of the show that I literally did not remember that we ever talked about these. So it really blew me away and really emphasizes the need to have that list, you know, because otherwise, eventually, I will end up covering the same thing over again. I know I will. So, but that's all I got. Oh, and the show just dies. (laughs) Brutal, horrifying death. Um, Before we jump into the next segment of the show, I'm going to encourage you guys to uh, close out your browsers because we're getting a... We're just getting a little bit of that Skypey lag bullshit that I hate so much. So I just want to make sure we got nice, clear, crisp connections between everybody so I can hear your sultry... Whatever you call it, dulcet tones. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we lost Bill. No. no he's oh, there here. he is. There he is. He's just, he's just, just laggy. Laggy. I'm closing stuff out. All right. I gotta close the Skype window. <laughs> yeah, don't close the Skype window. <laughs> Click. Ah. All right. So while you guys are doing that, I'm gonna go ahead and jump into the first book. And this is a freaking humdinger. Um, Jason, I wish I had gotten your email a little bit sooner, dude, because I really liked your idea about talking about Avengers West Coast number 100. If I'd had the time to switch the books out, you know, if I'd have known about it ahead of time, I'd have definitely switched the books out. As it was, by the time I got it, there just wasn't time to to trade them out and, and read that issue in place. But I like that idea, and eventually I would like to uh, go back and... and check out that that book to talk about in an episode but as it is i do have an issue of west coast avengers it's just not number 100 i have west coast avengers number five and this is from february 19 is this 86 i can't read let's see 80 it's either 86 or 88 i'm the 86 i think is it 86 it's blurred on the yeah here and i can't quite make it out and uh, writer on this is Steve Engelhart. Pencils are by Al Milgram. Joe Sinnott is the inker. Janice Chang is the letter. Petrus Cotis, uh, colors. Mark Grunwald was the editor. And Jim Shooter was the chief. And the story is called Ins and Outs. And uh, by the way, the cover on this 
is bizarre. It's a, a totally black cover except for these really creepy eyes and uh, this fangy, drooling mouth that's actually drooling down onto uh, Hawkeye's foot. And you've got the West Coast Avengers all gathered around it in the dark. And you've got uh, the uh, Scarlet Centurion uh, version of Iron Man. You've got Tigra, Hawkeye, a very beefy and wide-ass uh, uh, Wonder Man, and Mockingbird. And uh, this issue starts off, and uh, they're all gathered around in their meeting room. And Hawkeye is just reaming out Wonder Man, because in a prior issue... Wonder Man spilled the beans on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson that he had uh, embezzled money at some point in the past from, uh, he calls it his company. So I don't know what the whole story is. And if it was his company, then what's the big deal that he embezzled money? I don't get it. But anyway, he was a crook in the past. He's just feeling guilty. He wants to wipe the slate clean. You know, Wonder Man, he's, he's riddled with, with self-doubt and lack of confidence and that sort of thing. He's trying to turn himself around, so he, he outed himself on national television as a crook and Hawkeye's pissed because, you know, they're only five issues in, you know, nine if you count the four-issue miniseries prior to this. Hawkeye's trying to establish their rep. They're trying to break away from, you know, the just being an offshoot of the of the regular Avengers and he views this as a giant embarrassment to the team. Tigra comes to uh, to Wonder Man's defense, and uh, there's a lot of hostility on the team right off the bat. In the next room, the uh, the Thing, who just happens to be visiting, and I get the sense that something weird must have been going on with the FF around this time. I get the sense that the Thing may have actually quit the FF, or maybe the FF had disbanded or something. Anyway, he's hanging around. And he overhears this this fight that's going on, comments about it to uh, Hank Pym, who's also just kind of hanging around. And this chick, Thunderbird, Firebird, whatever her name is. And uh, so they're just all kind of hanging around. And apparently Hawkeye was trying to recruit the thing to, to join the team because they have uh, a hole in their roster that he's hoping that the thing will fill. Anyway... They hit upon the idea that maybe the best thing to do is just to go and, and have a press conference. So they have a press conference, and everybody feels like it goes pretty well except for Wonder Man, who kind of wa- wanders off to pout. He winds up, winds up down by the beach, and Tiger follows him down, and suddenly she put the, puts the moves on him. What's really hilarious, though, in this scene is the last three panels of, uh, of this page. They're standing there kissing. And it's a real tight close-up shot of them kissing. And then it backs up a little bit. And it's them arm in arm. And they're still kissing. And the water is up to like they're just below their knees. And then the next one is just waves crashing against the rocks. But if you look at it in a certain way, it almost looks like the tide came in and just swallowed them up. It's actually... (laughs) It's really, really bizarre. So Hawkeye... Now, this was at a time when he and Mockingbird were very newly married. They had gotten married in his, uh, in his miniseries. And so during the meeting, she backed him up and she's lending wifely support and all that. But when, in private, she lets him know that she completely disagrees with what he did and that he shouldn't have jumped all over uh, Wonder Man. This pisses Hawkeye off and they have a big marital spat and she storms off and he storms off. About this time, Ben Grimm comes in and says, well, I've had enough of you people, and he's leaving. Takes uh, 
Firebrand or whatever the hell her name is with him. And it's funny as they're driving away and the thing's riding a motorcycle, which I think is just, I don't know why it strikes me as ridiculous. It just does. His outfit is horrid, by the way. It's, he's wearing some sort of like wrestler wife beater looking outfit. It's just, it's a really <laughs> odd look for the thing. I, and I think that's the outfit he had on when he stayed on the, uh, that's like the one he had on the, uh, in his miniseries when he stayed on the Beyonder. Beyonder's planet. one. Yeah. Yeah. So is he newly back on Earth at this point? I think that's what it is. Oh, so this is when he came back to Earth, found out that uh, Johnny had married his woman, and he got all pissed off and quit, right? Yeah, that would explain why he's not there. Yeah, okay. Yep, all right. That makes sense. So they're driving away. She's riding in the sidecar, and (laughs) he's basically bragging about how he basically blew off the West Coast Avengers like, I don't need them, and... Now, they keep hounding me. Maybe one day I'll join them, but nah, probably not. In the meantime, she's pouting, going, I wish he'd ask me to join. It's just hysterical. <laughs> so uh, we change scenes again back to the beach, and uh, and Mockingbird's down walking on the beach by herself. She's pissed off at Hawkeye because he's such an asshole. And uh, what's her name? Tiger comes running up to her, and she's like, oh, my God, I just totally attacked Wonder Man and, you know, I can't control myself and I'm turning into a cat more and more all the time. And Mockingbird's like, get all to yourself. <laughs> this is just the strangest issue. So then we cut to uh, Henry Pym and Iron Man are hanging out together. Now, I just want to point out, I don't mean to bust on either Al Milgram or Joe Sinnott. These guys are comic book legends. I respect them greatly. I like their work. But boy, is it an odd bag in this issue. It goes from really, really looking nice to really looking horrible. And uh, this is my absolute favorite Iron Man armor is the Scarlet Centurion. And he looks ridiculous. The way these guys draw him, he, he looks like Bullet Man more than he looks like Iron Man. He's got like basically a, a wedge-shaped head. And he, he looks just... Like, huh? He looks like Rick. He looks like Red Ronin. He does. He well in that first panel on page nine, he reminds me of uh, Ronan the Accuser, actually, the, with the wide head and the big shoulder pads. And he just, I just don't like the way that they're they're drawing Iron Man in this at all. And Hank Pym has to excuse himself from the conversation they're having because he keeps getting phone calls, and it turns out that these threatening phone calls are from um, Ultron. Now, if you remember, Hank Pym actually created Ultron. And so that's a subplot. <laughs> the problem with this book, ultimately, is that it's not really a story. It's a, it's a, the perpetuation of too many subplots going on all at the same time. I, I didn't feel like there was actually a story here, like a, like a narrative. Like it wasn't really a done-in-one issue. It was, like I say, it was really just a string of ongoing plots and that was kind of annoying to me there's just too much shit happening in one book so he no sooner slams down the phone on ultron than tiger comes in and and she's laying the lips on him and it's like what oh oh yeah (laughs) so iron man and hawkeye they confer and I don't really know if anything really came out of that other than they, they know that something's going on with this whole thing with Wonder Man and they're going to have to figure out how to resolve it. Um, Mockingbird and Hawkeye end up making, out, uh, making up and then making out in 
a totally unrealistic way that does not happen in real world marriages where she basically comes to him and says, you know what? I was just being silly. I'm like, no, this does not happen in real life. So I love the bottom of page 12 where uh, Tigra comes walking out of uh, the room that she was just scrumping with uh, Hank Pym and he's looking all disheveled and everything. And, from here, it goes into some some strange places. Basically, Tiger at this point, she's made it with either one of the other of these guys, maybe both of these guys. She's feeling all weird and embarrassed, and she's just kind of psycho at this point. Mockingbird's totally unaware of any of this, so she's still focused on when Tigra had asked her for help. So she's like, well, you know, I did some digging around in the computer, and I figure the best thing to help us out with this cat problem is let's go talk to jack russell the uh the werewolf by night i'm like all right does that (laughs) does that logic follow at all but i guess so so they got to get to you know to the werewolf somehow so i guess this is how they they fit it in in the meantime uh ben Grimm, really looking like he's riding a tricycle on the bottom of page 13 he drops off uh, Fire Eater or whatever the hell her name is. <laughs> she goes to look for the uh, the dark is, hole. Hmm? Is is the sidecar on the wrong side now? Wasn't it on the other side? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even catch that. Holy shit! <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> so she goes to this bookstore, or magic shop. I don't know what this place is supposed to be, but she's supposed to be looking for the Darkhold for reasons I ha- have no idea why. And the the fat guy that's running the shop basically says, well, uh, the last I heard, Jack Russell has it. So guess what? They're all going to wind up at the same place. They get to Jack Russell's place, and it turns out that his doctor is none other than uh, Michael Morpheus. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, okay, by Morbius's own admission, he's been cured of his pseudo-vampirism thing that he had going on, and he keeps repeating the fact that, well, I was sort of a vampire, you know? Anyway, if he's cured, why does he still have the pig snout? Why does he still look like a white Grimorian guard? That's what I don't understand. I mean, he, this, dude. he is one really ugly guy. And... While they're all talking to Michael Morbius, Tigra's sniffing around and she senses something in this room. And I don't know if she causes it to happen or it just happens at the right time or what's going on. But suddenly uh, the werewolf busts loose from this room that uh, Morbius had him locked up in. He grabs Tigra and he hightails it out the window. The Avengers follow. There is a pretty awesome fight. The, I, the fight is actually pretty cool. My favorite part of it was... The part that, honestly, I had waited for this to happen a long time in comics. I always figured, yeah, Iron Man's a pretty bad dude. Yes, he's got incredible armor and all that sort of thing. He's got a lot of powers. He's, he's one of the heavy hitters in the Marvel Universe. However, he's got eye slits and mouth slits. Why not just shoot him in the face? And that's pretty much what the werewolf does. He just pokes his, his fingers, Three Stooges style, into Iron Man's eye slots and takes Iron Man out, which I thought was pretty brutal, really. And uh, exactly, blink right in the eyes, takes him out. So the rest of the team, 
they fight, they battle, and uh, they actually set the werewolf on fire at one point. Uh, fire, what is this girl's name? Firebird, that's her name. She comes down out of the sky, distracts the werewolf just long enough for uh, Wonder, Wonder Man to come up and give him a serious bop in the head, knocks him out, and somewhere in the course of the conversation, it comes up that all they wanted the guy for was to talk to him about the cat people. And Michael Morbius is like, cat people? I know all about the cat people. And that's pretty much where the issue ends, except for a quick phone call once again from Ultron to Hank Pym saying, I'm sorry I was such an asshole to you. And that's how the book ends. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I don't want to be too harsh about it, but the art is very inconsistent. The story, there's not really a story here. And I've heard nothing but really good things. And, and I know a lot of people really hold this series up as like a, a really great read and, and they've got fond memories and they say nice things about it. I hope it gets better because I'm five issues in and I'm just not feeling it with this book. I, I just, you know, it's it's been kind of a slog so far. Tell me it gets better. It gets better. Does it? I don't know. Are you just saying that? <laughs> no, no. I remember it getting better. Of course, this kind of goes back to last week. Uh, I remember when Byrne took over some of the art chores, and uh, oh yeah, after the, Scar- yeah. the Scarlet Witch and Vision come out, that that starts getting around an issue in the upper thirties, early forties, and um, I think uh, yeah, Scarlet Witch comes out, and there's a storyline with her children and Master Pandemonium, which I think was mentioned in here briefly. So yeah, it'll it'll get a little better. I hope so. I really. I've, I've heard things about it, but I've never actually read past the first issues. I haven't read it in a long time—at least fifteen, maybe twenty years. This falls into the you know the the books that uh, this is right around the time when I stopped collecting. So mm. I didn't I didn't read a lot of those. I have a lot of them, and uh, I've intended to read them. Kind of get because I have heard, excuse me, that the burn one in particular were very good. That is a really good run. I, I I don't know why I suddenly blanked and forgot. I got what I was really talking about though is is this this pre burn stretch. You know what I mean? Is is I've never read anything because what I know of the West Coast Avengers is entirely informed by Burns Run. I, I jumped onto the book when he came on. I jumped off of the book when he left, and that was as the books were coming out. So I'd never read any of the stuff prior to when he came, and I've only read just a few issues of the stuff um, after he left because there was a there was a time when Spider Woman came in way late in the series, and uh, I used to collect Spider Woman appearances, so I read it while she was a member of the team, and uh, and I was sort of familiar with some of that stuff. But all of this stuff pre burn, I, I really had no knowledge of it or in, you know really no interest in it and then a couple of years ago when i first got into podcasting i used to guest star every once in a while on uh, on a show that um will sanchez used to have it was called avengers assemble and we covered the four issue miniseries by roger stern that led into this ongoing that was great i'd never read it before and i thought that was fantastic so coming off of that, I thought that this this series would be a lot of fun. And so far, man, I got to be honest, it's been a real slog. Because I'm is still, the, I'm sorry. Is that the series where Hawkeye's pinned at the bottom of the pool by Graviton? Yes. Or, yeah. 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 
Was it Hawkeye or was it Wonder Man? Oh, that's right. It was Wonder Man. I think it, it was Wonder was, Man. Yeah, because yeah, obviously Hawkeye would have been dead. <laughs> that I enjoyed. That I thought was really good. I can't remember who the artist was on that, but the story was really. Of course, I love Roger Stern, but you know the story was really good. The art was fantastic, and you know I really thought I would love this because it's got the look, it's got the feel of the exact kind of old comics that we're always going on about that we love so much. You know, with with a lot of drama going on, a lot of big fights and and character interaction and romance and intrigue and all that sort of thing. But I'm just I don't know what it is. I'm just not feeling it. And I and I, you know, I either like or respect everybody that's working on the book. And I like most of the characters that make up the team. So I really thought I'd love it. And I'm just I, I just don't. It's just kind of blah. But I, I honestly think the biggest problem with it is just Engelhart's throwing just everything and the kitchen sink into every issue. And it's, it's just getting to be a little bit much. It's like, okay, guy, you know, give me a story with three or four subplots and carry those forward until they develop into a full-blown story. Don't just give me an issue that's nothing but the subplots all moving forward at the same time, because that's not a, that's not a comic to me. That's a, that's a chapter of a graphic novel or, or, or a trade or something. So I don't know. Well, hopefully it'll get better. Yeah, I get a couple of little notes that I made you going through it. Uh, the Wonder Man storyline, uh, that, goes, that goes back to his introduction back in Avengers 9, which yeah. when you know he was basically introduced as a, as a villain and he was embezzling his company. And uh, unless you're the sole stockholder in your company, it is still trying to embezzle funds when other people have uh, money invested in it. Whoops. So basically, basically, it's fraud. Oh, sorry. Uh, um, oh, that's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Keep uh, the Iron Man armor. I don't like this Iron Man armor. Uh, it's too bulky. First of all, I like the gold. I don't like the white. And it's it's just way too bulky. And exactly what you said about the bullet head thing, I, I think it looks terrible. I don't know if there's a I, – I assume there's a version of it where it looks much better. The Bob uh, Layton version looked awesome. But, I mean, come on, it's Bob Layton, you know? Yeah, I, I remember when Bob Layton was, you know, kind of experimenting with different looks and, uh, you know, just going with all these different – armors for him and everything. I thought that was cool, but my favorite is, is just the more sleek looking armor. I don't like when it got too bulky with him. Uh, there's a the the ish, the scene they're walking into the press conference and they show him kinda in the crowd walking, he just looked terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made a note about the thing being back from Secret Wars. We mentioned that. Uh, Ultron being basically down to being a crank caller just kind of seems kinda <laughs> dumb to me. <laughs> <laughs> is Hank Pym there? <laughs> uh, hey, Hank, is your refrigerator running? Yeah, exactly. They're shut it off. <laughs> uh, oh, and and uh, the whole the whole uh, cat and werewolf by night thing that was that goes to the introduction when or not cat Tigra when she was changed from cat into Tigra. Right. Uh, that was from Giant Size Creatures number one, and that was a werewolf by night. Uh, book, so I, I haven't read that in years. I don't remember Jack Russell having anything to do with the transformation. No, they talk about the cat people, and that's who did it. Right. She had like like this, you know, older woman who was her mentor, who uh, you know, it turned out was secretly a member of the cat people, 
and something happened where she she received some kind of like near, nearly fatal wound, and to save her, they they transformed her into Tigra. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what it's going back to. So, uh, it's kind of a stretch to kind of say, oh, let's find Jack Russell because he knows what went on. He just happened to be there when that was all going on. He didn't have anything to do with the transformation itself. Hmm. And that's what I got. Cool. Well, I mean, I'm, I'll definitely continue forward because I am on my read through of the Avengers and I'm, I'm up to that era where there's now two Avengers books. You know, there was the regular Avengers and then the West Coasters. So I'll, I'll weed through it eventually and, uh, and I'll, I'll report back from time to time. I at the bottom of page 11 where uh, Tiger's with uh, Hank Pym on the couch and she's purring. And then uh, outside, you see Simon Williams walking by. Do 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 do. Sucker. He needs some headphones in his ears because he looks like he's out power walking or something, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. I got to go to the mall and do some power walking <laughs> with Power Man and Octavis. <laughs> what do you think, guys? Do you think we got time for uh, for one more or? Uh... Yeah, I, I can. Uh, there's not too much meat to the one I got. All right. And it kind of covers two, so we kind of meet meet our three book or three creator or three company quota. You know, we're kind of cheating getting it in one book. And I get to take the easy way out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you mean to start? Go ahead. All right. Tonight I picked uh, Superman versus the Terminator: Death to Future put out by DC and Dark Horse Comics with uh, Alan Grant as the writer, Steve no, I don't want to say this wrong, Pew Pew, <laughs> Pew. It's gotta be Pew. Pew Mr. Pew as the as the penciler, Mike Perkins inker David Stewart colorist Clem Robbins letter Steve again on the cover and the our usual cast of DC and Dark Horse characters Alright, so we open up in Metropolis. And uh, nearby we have a woman walking along with her son uh, just cu- coming out of a uh, toy store for a contest uh, in, in the background, which will which will play into the plot a little bit later. And then uh, out of nowhere, there's a massive like ball of plasma with a appears to be a, a human figure inside. And um, the son asks, well, what is it? And uh, she says, it's our worst nightmare. And out of the ball stands a uh, a naked man and uh he he uh calls a uh, target id Sarah connor and john connor and they realize that it's a terminator and um he tries to uh uh to blast them with an eye beam which is something new for terminator we don't usually see uh they're able to duck out of the way and um they're running through uh through different stores and everything and uh, Sarah Connor dives into a camping store and uh, shoots the Terminator with a flare gun. Ooh, that's going to leave Mark. Uh, <laughs> burns, burns off the skin layer. But uh, he's, you know, as we know, that's no big deal. No big deal for Terminator. Uh, next, we have the. Uh, which I don't think I've really ever seen this before. And maybe it just I didn't. I've I've never noticed it. But we have basically Superman's viewpoint. With his, as if you were actually Superman with your hands in front of you, and he spots uh, 
he spots trouble at at the local mall using his vision, sees a naked man on fire with eye beams <laughs> shooting out of his eye, uh, swoops in to see what's going on, and uh, proceeds to get in a battle royale with the Terminator. And once he realizes that, oh, this is this is just a robot, you know, the the kid goes her off and he throws him in the sun, and that's the end of the book. All right, <laughs> good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he does basically realize he's like, okay, I've had enough of this, and takes the head right off, right off the Terminator, gone, knocks it knocks it out of the park, and then just just, just demolishes the body. So next, he's going back to find where. Um, the uh, uh, the mom and her 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 son had gone, and uh, you know, being Superman, it doesn't take him long to find him. And um, he swoops him up and kidnaps him, and takes him to a nearby rooftop, and uh, says, "You're under my protection." And uh, basically, they're like, "No, you can't protect us. There's there's no way." And uh, Sarah Connor goes through and tells the story about the future, and how um, how Skynet will take over. And, you know, Judgment Day, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. So she explains that her son is going to be the leader of the rebellion and that, um, you know, he's going to rise up and they're going to defeat the machines in the future. Man's a little skeptical. He's like, well, how can you know this? Uh, Someone from the future came back to warn me. I could just see Superman. Right. He could have invented that whole thing. Uh, What proof? And, and basically, her proof is like, well, hey, did you not see the machines that were attacking us? So obviously, Superman's not, you know, he doesn't seem to be 100%, um, you know, in on the whole thing yet. And uh, but they're still trying to figure out how the how the um, how the Terminators knew they were in Metropolis. And uh, John Connor, who obviously has learned nothing from his mother, had entered his own name in. The, uh, that contest in that toy store that they were in. So um, he put his name in so he could in the bike. And Superman says, well, well, that's okay. I'll go back and, and destroy the entry. But they, you know, the whole uh, time things, well, obviously you didn't because they still came here. By now, Superman's getting a headache and says, you know, maybe Steel can be able to make more sense out of this. You know, Steel being the uh, John Henry Iron character. So before he can really do anything with that, Two more Terminators appear, um, and we cut now. And now I kind of think that this is some type of uh, – we're, we're now looking at the head of the Terminator, and I assume it's the Terminator that Superman knocked out. Now, we never saw this thing picked up, but now it appears to be being looked at by the cyborg Superman. Or Well, I guess he's not – he's just a, just a cyborg here. Um, I believe this is isn't this Hank Crenshaw, guys? Do you remember? Crenshaw. This, yeah. Oh, it, so it's Hank Crenshaw or Henshaw? I believe it's just Henshaw. Henshaw, yeah. Oh, okay. So he's he's found this head, and he's you know he realizes that from from looking at it that it must come from the future, and he realizes that he can download information into it that will um, allow machines to come back from the future to defeat Superman. And um, like the last thing he says is while he, he says, you will be my condo to tomorrow while Star Labs will be none the wiser. 
So I'm assuming that the head in that time frame was picked up and taken to Star Labs. It's not really clear. That's just like one little plot hole there. Meanwhile, we go back to Superman now fighting two Terminators, and both of them have heat vision, much like his own. And uh, they're basically just talking in one word, uh, uh, you know, pursue, run, dodge. Um, so, meanwhile, Sarah and uh, John are, are hiding up, up in a crane while the fight's going on. And uh, <laughs> Sarah, in, in a nice little move, uses the crane to um, try to take out <laughs> the Terminators. And one says the other one, evade. And the other one says, damage sustained, which he takes off. Uh, he takes his arm off. <laughs> so uh, they jump up onto the crane uh, to try to get um, uh, John and Sarah. Uh, Supes is swooping by. And you got to kind of pay, pay attention because he grabs a bucket. You don't really know what's in it. And next you see like he's chugging what, what's in the bucket. Like, oh, what, did he stop for a drink or what? <laughs> and um, Next, he's, he's just lets out. I guess we would. This would be a super cough. I don't know. He goes, "Hoof!" And basically, he had a mouthful of rivets, and he shot the bucket of rivets, and basically tore the Terminator to shreds. So you know, they says, "Oh, you know, oh, you didn't run out on us. I never run out on anyone, son." Oh, such prophetic words. That'll come back to haunt him. <laughs> so, so he's all, oh, "Let's let's just let's let's talk this over from the beginning." Next, we see. Uh, uh, Henshaw back in the uh, back in a uh, um, cemetery with the previous Terminator skull after he's downloaded his info to it, and he shoves it up into the inside of a statue, I guess for hiding, so that the future Skynet will find the information uh, to defeat Superman. So, meanwhile, we cut back to Superman and Sarah Connor and John Connor. And Superman says he's going to take him someplace safe. And as he's doing that, um, a lightning, uh, like a vortex opens around him, lightning coming out. His powers don't work. And um, he's he's starting to fade away. And the last thing he does, he says, call this number, she'll help you. And um, basically he burned Lois Lane's number onto a, a steel girder. So next, um, Superman is um, being stretched and compressed and uh, light and dark. He doesn't know what's going on. Next thing he wakes up, he's naked, uh, and he has no idea where he's at. Who hasn't that happened to? (laughs) (laughs) No comment. (laughs) After all, the one in the hotel room in Tallahassee. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, two guys jump up. Terminator, destroy it! And uh, a man steps in and says, no, wait, I know this man. Superman? Steel? Is that you? But this is not the steel we know. This is a rather old and aged uh, John John Henry. So uh, they're happy to see each other. And basically, uh, Supes asks, well, well, what's going on? Where are we? And uh, John Henry tells him, you're in the future. 2032 to be exact. Welcome to Metropolis. And the Metropolis we see is much like the future we've seen in the Terminator movies with scrolls and destroyed uh, metro signs and just demolished buildings everywhere. And that is where the issue ends. Now, had you read this before? Yes. What did you think of it? 
Well, I liked how they uh I liked how they, you know, obviously are tying in um I like the cyborg Superman being in here. The arts the art's pretty good. I mean it's it's not too bad. It's not fantastic, but but it is adequate for the story. Um I have yet to go on and read the other ones yet. So I'm not really sure where this is where this is is going to go. I think I read this a long time ago when it first came out. But yeah, that uh, back in back in '99, and I just stumbled across it tonight while I was looking for something to read, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember this." So, um, I mean, I think it does a fairly decent job of meshing the two. I mean, sometimes these things are really forced, and they just don't just don't go together at all. But I think so far in this first issue that I think they're woven together pretty well. I'll agree. I, I remember when this one was solicited, and this was after a long string of these kind of things. There had been like, uh, you Never know, bat- yeah, Predator, yeah, and you know, beds. I think if I'm not mistaken, I think it all started with uh, with Batman Predator, if I'm not mistaken. But there was a whole series of them where they were mashing up these different properties and everything. And uh, and I remember thinking that that Superman Aliens was pretty good, but when this one was announced, this was the first time one of these projects was announced where I was just like, "Well, that'll last all of five minutes." And it actually, I, while I don't remember a whole lot of the specifics of the story, as I recall, it turned out to pre- be a pretty damn good story because it really it, it incorporated so many elements of both universes really, really well. You know, you had uh, Sarah and John Connor, you had, you know, Skynet and going, you know, bo- you had both the their play in the present, but also, you know, the Skynet and the destroyed world of the future and all. And then mm-hmm. where Superman was at the time, you know, this was at a time when he had, you know, amongst his allies was Steel, who we saw this issue. He also had, uh, Super the Supergirl, yeah, Superboy, who was the clone, and Supergirl, who was, uh, you know, that protoplasmic thing from another dimension. And right. so this miniseries is a nice little, like, snapshot time capsule of where Superman was, you know, at this point in the in the late 90s. And, uh, and one of these days I have to dig it out and reread the entire uh, mini again, but I remember enjoying it more than I thought that I would and more than it than it honestly deserved because... You know, like I say, when I saw the initial solicits, I saw, I thought, well, that's kind of an unfair fight. Superman, I mean, Superman tears through robots all the time, but they found a way to to add a snag to the story that you know kind of put Superman on an even keel with uh, with the Terminators, much like they did with the with the Alien ones. The Alien one was a lot the same way, whereas you know the initial thought of Superman battling. Aliens was kind of the same thing of like, well, he should make quick work of them, but they made it, you know, they really were creative with that series. Yeah, I actually did look at the first one of that tonight when I was looking for something. Um, I I had found that one and and I was flipping through it, and he's fighting, he's fighting with the alien, the and the alien could rip his clothes and his skin and spits his acid in his eyes and and it and it and screws up his vision, so it takes away his ability to actually use his heat vision. Because he can't focus on anything, mm-hmm. um, you know. It yeah, it was that one wasn't too bad. I I only read the first I- issue of that um, as well tonight, and you know, if I get some time this week, I'll probably go back and read the rest of this, and um, and maybe the other as well. So yeah, those, all in all, this wasn't a bad uh, 
the battery. It's it's pretty quick. You know, it, you can kind of tell we're getting you know this is into the '90s and into the somewhat more modern area uh, era of uh, not so wordy storytelling like like the last issue we just read. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's but it's still got enough meat in it that you don't feel like. Uh, I mean, because the cover price for this when it came out was two ninety five. Right. So, so really, you know, if I paid two ninety five for this book, I wouldn't feel cheated like sometimes I do today when it's a book of splash page of uh, splash splash pages, and I'm like, that's it. That was my four dollars. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, not a bad book. I think I, uh, I I thought it was pretty good. I did like like exactly what you said uh, that they managed to even the playing field a little bit without making it seem ridiculous. Uh, let's see, what did I note here? I like I like the fact that the toy store they were coming from was named the Toy Sack. <laughs> I don't know if I just found that amusing. <laughs> uh, I I did not like the artwork in this issue. I thought the figures were stiff and the proportions were off. They looked posed. Uh, I didn't, you know, there, there wasn't fluidity to it, so I didn't like that. Uh, and then at the end, they first cut to uh, Steel. In the first panel, they show him he does not have uh, a beard, and then for the the next three that he's in, he has a beard, which you know, just inconsistent. And then the other the other thing that that jumped out at me is I hate when they have these stories that take place in the future, but it's the not too distant future. And they assign it a year, right? Because cause it just bothers me. Because as time goes on, then that becomes dated. Uh, and I, I always the example I always give is that uh, I think it was uh, 1984 that apes the ape uh, revolution was supposed to take place, and uh, you know now that, that's almost 30 years ago. <laughs> well, they were kind of stuck here because if if they're going with. Um... You know, they kind of have to stick to the uh, the Terminator timeline. Yeah, but they could have just gotten away without actually saying a year. Well, that, that, yeah, I guess they could just say, welcome to the future. Welcome yeah, it's a party, pet peeve of mine. <laughs> well, that, you know, that's, that's all I got. I see what you're saying, that he, he doesn't have a beard. I mean, it is kind of in shadow, but, but yeah, yeah, you think they could have done... Yeah, they, they could have showed a beard there. Maybe it was a snap-on beard, you know, kind of like uh, Black Lightning snap-on afro. You know? <laughs> snap-on. Snap-off. Oh, so, so what did you think about the super, uh, what is it, what is it? the super cough with the, with, <laughs> with, 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 <laughs> with the bucket of rivets? That was, I thought that was kind of inventive and cool. I mean, I could have done without the sound effect. I don't need the, uh, <laughs> the, the gag sound. But as far as the, the creativity of him taking a bucket of rivets, rivets and uh, and spitting them to kill them, yeah, that's kind of cool. Wasn't there an old cartoon? It was probably like a Popeye or something, where he swallowed like a like a mouthful of red hot rivets, and then spit them into a like a. I want to say it was a Popeye cartoon where he was in a contest with somebody to build a skyscraper or something in a contest with yeah. somebody. No. <laughs> well, probably. Yeah. Hey, am, I, am I remembering that right? Was it Popeye? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think it's been in more than one cartoon. Cause I kind of remember that maybe in a Warner brothers something. Yeah. Also. 
That's what it reminded me. I remember Popeye doing it, though. Yeah. But if he, if he hadn't eaten the spinach first, he would have burned his mouth. <laughs> the healing property of spinach. Prevent burns. Make you strong. Kill Terminators. Oh, sorry. It did yeah. bug me in this that uh, evidently they did not have the licenses for... Uh, Arnold. Yeah, Linda Hamilton and... No, I didn't even... You know what? I didn't even consider Arnold. But yeah, that's no. a point. Arnold, but, uh, you know, Linda Hamilton and then that kid, whatever the kid's name was. He walks up to Superman, give me your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't think so. Well, like I said before, it might have been better served if it was Superman versus the Akinator. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, that was the pre-show, that's right <laughs> Let me guess who you are I'll guess your secret identity in 25 questions Why are you still to see me? <laughs> Ouch, that hurts, stop it <laughs> Answer my question <laughs> Do you? Are you a reporter for a major metropolitan newspaper? Do you wear blue suit? Are you living or dead? <laughs> You're Perry White. Are you Paraguayan? <laughs> have you been in oh, have you now or ever been involved with sports? Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcast.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.